Before we get started diving deep into a little more Bridgerton today, I just wanted to thank Sherry, Laura, Christy, Aaron, Karen, Emma, and Mia. They are hanging out over on patreon.com slash let's dive deep. They are, you know, helping make this podcast a little more sustainable for me and also getting early access to all the episodes and a few other little benefits as well. So if that is something that sounds interesting to you, that is patreon.com slash let's dive deep. You can also find the link in the show notes below. Hello everybody, my name is Bradley and welcome back to another episode of Let's Dive Deep. Today we are continuing, oh boy are we ever continuing, our deep dive into the first novel in the Bridgerton series titled The Duke and I. And in this episode we will be covering chapters 5 and 6. Chapter 5 was a little bit tame as I was reading. I was like, okay, we're taking a break from horny jail. You know, that we're toning it down a little bit. And then in Chapter 6, inexplicably, Simon fantasizes about licking Daphne's toes. So we're just off the deep end. This book is unhinged. It's amazing. I'm having so much fun reading it. You can't let your guard down for a second reading this book. And it's hilarious. So there will be adult content in this episode, despite the fact that in these two chapters, I made it about 75% of the way through. And I thought we'd get through it but we we hit a pretty big roadblock there and it was very funny with regard to spoilers you know we've read up to chapter six so far so we'll be spoiling all that stuff we'll also possibly be spoiling seasons one and two of the netflix adaptation those are the two seasons released as of recording this podcast because we're comparing the book to the show a little bit and that's part of this podcast if you have not seen the netflix adaptation go watch it now before you come back here if you want to that is if you don't want to that's fine as well but just know i haven't read past chapter six in these books so i can't spoil anything that happens past the chapters we're covering and finally, before we get started, look, there's so many things you can do to help this podcast grow, to help it reach more people, or to just hang out with some cool people on the internet. Make sure to go and give this podcast a five-star rating on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you're listening to this podcast. It is very, very helpful. The only thing more helpful than that is word of mouth. Send this podcast to somebody who you think would enjoy it. You can head over to our Facebook group to just kind of hang out with cool people and talk about not just Bridgerton, but anything else you want to over there, really. It's more of just a general kind of pop culture hangout you know, group. I think when it's operating at its best, that's what we're doing over there. So it's just a cool place to hang out. We also have a Patreon where you can throw a couple of bucks my way to help keep the podcast sustainable if you are enjoying it. And that way I can give you early access to the episodes and some other benefits from time to time as well. And we can make that little bit of a trade there. So if any of that is interesting to you, all of that stuff can be found in the show notes below. Alright everybody, here we go with chapter number 5. As of recording this, I'm recording this in the middle of the summer. It's 34 degrees Celsius outside in Vancouver today. It's very, very hot and I turned off my air conditioner so that you don't hear it rattling around in the background. So just so you know, that, that if I sound a little bit more tired than normal, it is so hot in the room that I'm recording this podcast. Also, I went to a soccer match last night and I am losing my voice. So that with those two things combined, not exactly the best two things to have going into this, but we're 
gonna have fun regardless in the intro to chapter five i just wanted to say now five chapters in i dig these little lady whistle down intros it's fun it's exciting it sets up the chapter it's clever it, it allows a way for julia quinn here to give us a little bit of exposition to see things from a different point of view to set up what it is she wants to accomplish to set up how society is viewing the characters in our book it's a very very clever way of adding a new perspective into the mix that always kind of hits the mark every single or only I've only read six so far, um, but all of the Lady Whistledown bits and blurbs at the beginning of the chapters just do it for me. They just do it for me. It's a good idea. It's a fun writing concept. Uh, the way Lady Whistledown interacts as part of the story so far is not as much as the show kind of portrays it. And we'll see. We're only six chapters in. However, just having it at the beginning of each chapter to kind of set it up is a writing choice that I've really enjoyed so far in this book. We are dropped immediately into a dance where Simon and Daphne are trying to figure out if they should dance together. You know, he's asking if she has permission to waltz, which I just, just, the more, the more you learn about this society, the more you're just like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is, what is actually happening? Like, so certain dances need certain types of permission. I imagine there's like a way that you touch somebody during a waltz that's like more romantic or intimate. And so you need like a special dispensation, you're, mom and your older brother your dad has to fill out a permission slip to go on the field trip of waltzing but that, that was just so funny to me i was like what on earth is happening but they're gonna go dance this whole exchange is very very cute daphne has i wrote in my notes like the 10 things i hate about you but it's the seven reasons i would like to dance with you and <laughs> one of them one of them is so she doesn't have to talk to the featheringtons or some kind of featherington dunk which i found genuinely funny the featheringtons get dunked on at least a hundred times in chapter five every single one of them is funny and then there's all this cute shit with like simon not giving her the chance to accept even though she internally was like you know what i'd probably like dancing with them and that was portrayed as the least reason there's like all the other reasons and they're all funnier and then it's like and i'll probably enjoy dancing with him which is the most important reason but of course it's not in this situation what i like about this setup and i think i like this better than in the show it's early days so far but i think i like this general setup a little bit better although i understand why they changed it for the show daphne being not in her first season and thought of as the friend of london the the friend of the ton the friend of the social season instead of i think they call it the heroine something heroine later the whatever the popular one the heroine of the group I think is a very interesting choice for the novel and it really helps give you this sense of how would this end up happening right like how would daphne end up in this situation where this plan with simon makes a lot of sense in the show i think you have to have it the other way around because is anyone watching that like daphne needs to be star building phoebe denever is absolutely stunning and, and is, is just so good in that role that i think you kind of have to change it up i don't know if anyone would believe that three years of people would have passed over Daphne in the show so I think the change makes a lot of sense but this more this more depth and nuance to this storyline in the book which I'm gonna say is not a very deep book but this this storyline has a little bit more depth and nuance to it and I, I what I like is that I'm reading something that feels familiar to me but just because the setup is a little bit different it feels fresh it feels exciting it feels like it feels like I get to enjoy it for the first time and this whole dance sequence with the waltz where they are dancing together is just genuinely cute 
the writing here is genuinely good. There are some bits of writing in chapter six that are absolutely fucking nuts, like absolutely unhinged, but but in a way that works with the book, we'll get there in the next chapter. Um, in this chapter, though, it's just well done. And I, 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 this book was described to me as a crime against humanity. And I have not read enough of this book to have a firm opinion on it, other than I'm just enjoying this. This is just fun. I just liked hanging out with Simon and Daphne, and they're doing the waltz, and they're commenting about her brothers which is really funny they're dunking on the featheringtons also hilarious they're talking about their respective bad evenings and they're also using this dance here to set up the story all right they're setting up the story this is who daphne is she wants to marry she wants to have kids all she knows is big family and this is who the duke is he doesn't want to marry and they're they're julia quinn again does a really good job here genuinely of making it vague enough at using the using the kind of facade of the social season etiquette for Daphne not to ask any more questions was a really clever way of just leaving the audience with a few questions about why it is that Simon, like what is it specifically that Simon is vowed not to do? I think we figured that out, but like why is something that we can still have a little bit of time to kind of, you know, sit with and digest, even though after chapter one or whatever the chapter is with the, the original Duke, the asshole, um, we can kind of get a good idea, but it's a very clever way for to keep Daphne kind of in the dark about Simon's differences from her. But this this whole thing, I, I'm kind of beating around the bush here, this whole thing really sets up the story in a really cool way. Like, Simon is not into the things Daphne is into. They're into each other. But in terms of where they want to go in life, they're completely incompatible. So now we're set up the stories. How are these two going to make it work? And that was really effective for me. I want to say a good portion of this chapter, 30% of this chapter, is Daphne and the Duke. Maybe that's a lie. Maybe I'm just misremembering reading this. That sounds like too much. Anyways, uh, are them coming up with the idea, the genius plan, the master, the master class of not ending up together. This, I, okay, does, I just want to know actually, because this happens a lot in books. It happens a lot in movies. Maybe it happens less than I think it does. And I just, the times that it happens, it's so funny. But does anyone ever do this, the whole, let's just pretend to be into each other to keep other people off the scent, and then this outcome will be good for both of us? Does that ever happen without those two falling in love with each other? Like, has that ever happened in any kind of pop culture book, movie, TV show? I want examples. Email me examples. Let's dive deep pod at gmail.com. But also, does this happen in real life? All right, because I love going on like Reddit and finding those things like, you know, you know, this is trope where you make a pledge with someone. You're you're 20, you're 21, you're in college and you're like, hey, we're not into each other, but, 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 but hear me out. If we're both 45 and still single, we're just going to marry each other. Is that a deal we can make? How many times has that actually happened? Because that the, 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 you know, I, I just want to know. In real life, does that actually happen? Is that a thing people actually follow through on? Who out there is happily married right now 20 years later because they made this pact with that person in college? It's the same thing with this setup. Is this a thing people do? Because it's a thing people do in books and movies and stuff, and it always ends up to have the opposite effect. Or, like, does this happen in real life? But also, is the... Would... Now, here's a more fascinating kind of question with this plan. Is it always inevitable? 
right? Maybe the only two people who would make a deal like this would be two people that are already kind of into each other, right? Because in order to pretend to be into each other, you kind of actually, you don't want it to be a complete lie. You know, the best lies are have a little bit of the truth in them. So you, to make this work, you do have to have a base level of attraction and comfortableness with the other person in this deal. So maybe that's the reason it always ends up being that the two fall in love because that is that is only the only people who could make this kind of deal and have this kind of idea and have it work and commit to it are the two kind of people that are already into each other. So it makes perfect sense that they end up together. I don't know where I'm going with this other than I find this idea fascinating. Bridgerton's not the first book or TV show to do it, right? But it's not wearing out on me. I'm not reading this going, ah, oh, this trope again. I'm digging it. It's pretty fun. I'm excited. They seem pretty into each other. Uh, when we get to chapter six, there's some stuff that's crazy. But but in this chapter, it kind of just felt right. It just, the writing was good. And it kind of just felt these two are waltzing. They're chatting. They're into the same kind of things. They're joking with each other. They're having a time. Right, Anthony is in the corner just getting furious with Lady Bridgerton, which I want to talk about a little bit. That was very funny too. Right, but they're just bonding and vibing, and I I just I was into it. I was into it. I'm not gonna lie, I was into it, and it was really effective, and it really made that this plan. It made me buy into these two people would make this plan. In this book, both people have a very good reason for this plan to happen. Right. And even in the next chapter, it kind of works out for Daphne a little bit. You know what I mean? And it kind of works out for the Duke a little bit, kind of, but not really. But they're also honest about it. Right. Like Daphne says, I think I have more to gain from this plan than you do. Right there. There is a level of honesty. There's no trickery. There's no tomfoolery. There's no one trying to hoodwink anyone else into anything here. It's just this is the plan. Both people have a good reason for entering this plan. We know where this plan is going to end up but they don't yet. And they're both, Simon's thoughts are crazier for sure. And they're more more so that they were unexpected. I don't want to like, I don't want to kink shame or anything on this podcast. Definitely not. However, it was just very unexpected in the next chapter. <laughs> You're just kind of reading like, oh baby, here we go. Right? Um, but they're not trying to hoodwink each other. They both have these moments, although Simon's are a little crazier, where they're attracted to each other. And they're saying that in internally, but they, like, I just get it. This whole thing vibes for me, and I'm into it. Anthony and Violet Bridgerton, Mama B are having a time over in the corner. Uh, Anthony's just, it's, these two chapters are just Anthony being really grumpy that Simon is giving all of this attention to his sister, which makes a lot of sense if you're Anthony. This guy is a rake, his reputation is not good, and he's your best friend. And, uh, you know, it's, you gotta, hmm, you gotta, you gotta work that out. You know, this is very much not the same thing, but, you know, giving me kind of uh, Harry Potter and Ginny Weasley vibes, you know, in that in that book, Ron, in book six of Harry Potter, uh, Ron is a little more um, neutered than the Duke. He's a little more. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not as strong-willed. He has he has opinions, but he he doesn't have the 
he doesn't have the vibrato to act on them unlike the duke who is very much just going to strangle anthony in a hallway in the next chapter right but i just like that this idea that the older brother's pissed off it makes perfect sense this is his best friend and his best friend with a bad reputation and it's his sister and it's his job in this society to get her married all of this is lining up for anthony to be mad that's pretty funny i'm enjoying that mama bridgerton also still a bit of a prick compared to the show you know she's saying uh, shameless yes but n never hopeless right so she's admitting a little bit that she's a little bit crazy she's a little bit into this she's enjoying this a little bit she she is very fervent in her um her what's the word i'm looking for oh man this is just me podcasting is trying to find the word i'm looking for she's very fervent in her attitude and she's very dedicated to finding daphne a husband and we see this as soon as the duke you know even feigns the slightest in interest her, her whole opinion changes she starts thinking does she really have a chance to be a duchess and the whole thing turns around so mama bridgerton you know selling her soul a little bit you know has her one thing that she's looking for to get daphne married and she's a little bit shameless about it and i like that character trait for mama bridgerton here at the end of chapter five, we have a few fun things that are happening. You know, Simon just keeps dunking on the Featheringtons, which I enjoy so much. Or somebody does. I think it's Simon, but somebody does. And I think part of the plan is like, hey, if we keep up this facade of being into each other, then I don't have to talk to the Featheringtons anymore. <laughs> You're like, yep, that's perfect. And then later, I think Mama Bridgerton says something like, oh my goodness, what would Portia Featherington think if our daughter was about to become a duchess? Like, it's just a whole group of people that on top of the things they already care about are passionate about dunking on the Featheringtons, which I think is just fun. Also in this book, who are the Featheringtons? Like if I'm just reading this book, I have no fucking idea who these people are. I'm, a, I'm just imagining the show version of them, right? And so I get it. I get to double down in these chapters. Having watched the show first, I think this is one of the things that actually gets heightened while reading the book is I have an idea in my head of who the Featheringtons are. So all this dunking on them makes, all this making fun of them is funnier because I have someone in my mind. In the book, you're just like, oh, they're just a family of people that no one likes, right? And so I just enjoy this a little more that I have a, a more nuanced view of who they are and of why uh, all the other people in this book are making fun of them. And that just really adds to it for me. The one little writing bit I will say I wasn't sure I vibed with in this chapter. I wasn't sure I didn't vibe with it either, but it's just like difficult a little bit because most books are not written like this. There's just a lot of POV swaps where you're kind of in and out of different characters' heads, but it's unclear to what degree you're in them, right? There are some points where you're getting Simon's thoughts and some points where you're getting Daphne's thoughts and some points where you're getting Mama Bridgerton's thoughts and it just jumps around a little bit. Um, there's a lot of books written in a way where you're kind of in one person's character head. It, per like a lot of chat a lot of books have chapters that swap perspectives but it's very unfrequent where they swap perspectives in the same chapter to three or four different characters where you're in their brain and can kind of hear their thoughts and so that just i don't want to say threw me off because i don't think it didn't work but it's just because mo books aren't written like this often that it just it just took me a minute to 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 be comfortable with while i was reading this chapter Chapter six, across Grosvenor Square, inside the Bridgerton house. Everyone is happy. The butler is happy. Daphne is happy. Mama Bridgerton Violet is ecstatic. It's calling time and never have there been so many suitors for Daphne. And because every time I read something in this book, I go, what the actual fuck is going on? All these people are calling at the same time. Now, we have talked before in one of the Bridgerton podcasts about how I think the scheduling works for these kind of events. I think 
that there's calling time and that's from 11 to 1. And that's the only time you can call in a day. Every other time is booked. Uh, you know, the first ball of the evening's at 4. The second ball of the evening's at 7.30. Everyone stays out till 4 p.m. If there's no balls, you're walking around Hyde Park or whatever, right? If you're you're going to lunch at the boats, you're watching the races. There, Everything is meticulously planned around all these social events. So there's not a lot of time for calling. It's just one time for calling and everyone's got to show up at that time. And what that creates is the most awkward, hilarious situation ever where all of these guys are in a room with Daphne at the same time and some of them are sitting on the windowsill some of them are sitting on the couches only one of them can really talk to Daphne at any given time and it's so so funny and then Simon <laughs> Simon rocks up and he enters the building. It takes Daphne a minute to notice he's there. But once he's there, uh, things start to get hilarious. Daphne's obviously into this. She's like, oh, did you know, we have to pretend to be together. I gotcha. Uh, Mama Bridgerton is vibing with this because, you know, she wants Daphne to be a duchess now. She's completely flipped her, her mind around. And all of these guys are like, ah, oh, fuck. This, the Duke, really, there's got to be a Duke here. What about my rich ass? Like, why... Why does the dude, where did this guy come from? From the clouds? Like he was on vacation. He was, he's been around in five years. And then the one time I'm here to court a person and now he's here. And that just that whole situation is hilarious to me. Simon is walking around the room with a clenched fist and he gets pretty into his head. He's imagining which of these people he would like to punch and it's the poetry guy which is awesome there's just some fucking dunderhead you know just writing original poetry and you know the duke is a cultured man he has this moment where he says hey when he, when he was doing an impersonation of a shakespeare sonnet it was okay but original poetry i will not handle so should i punch this guy in his left eye socket or his right eye socket <laughs> Just so funny that he has opinions on poetry and his where he's going to punch this guy in the face is dependent on what kind of dumb poetry he's reading. Awesome stuff from the Duke. But it also shows the Duke unintentionally is kind of into this. And he has lots of thoughts in this chapter about things him and Daphne are going to do. Uh, and we'll talk about them. But he's starting to he's starting to fall into it here a little bit. Mama Bridgerton immediately jumps on the scene to marshal everybody out of the room. Even Daphne's like, oh man, I was enjoying all this attention. <laughs> so one of the guys has to go see his mom. Oh, that's embarrassing. That kind of sucks. Like, oh, sorry, you can't be here. It's very rude if I left your mom waiting. Like, ah, oh, fuck, man. Like, that just, that just sucks. That's really funny. Everyone else gets marshaled out. She makes a mention of traffic. If you want to sell me on your thing... A Hamilton does this a lot, the musical Hamilton, and I love it every single time. If you want to sell me on your thing, take a modern day concept and just just insert it into a into a, a book set in a historical period. And I will love it every time. Mama Bridgerton says that this guy has to leave because of traffic. There are too many. <laughs> There are too many horses on the road. He's going to be late. It's going to take him an hour to get to his mom. So funny. Love this mention of traffic. Absolutely had me laughing out loud. Just perfect writing. There's actually a really nice and sweet moment here where the Duke has brought flowers, but they're actually for Daphne's mom, Violet. They're not for Daphne. And, uh, you know, you know, Violet gets all, all, all really emotional from having these flowers, and it kind of sets off a chain of events where Anthony comes in and Daphne's got to go get the vase. And those types of things. Also, do you guys say vase or vase? Vase? I don't know. I'm going to go with vase for this podcast. It feels more like old-timey British. But let me know. 
anywhere facebook twitter google what do you say vase or vase anyways uh, mama bridgerton a little bit emotional having received these flowers and daphne thinks to herself right she she is also a woman who likes to receive flowers just like everyone else but since dad died 10 years ago she hasn't received any and this is the first time that someone has bought flowers and they have these jibes about how expensive they were and Daphne's like no you can't say how expensive they were and Violet's like ah just tell me later like it's a very fun mother-daughter interaction the Duke is kind of seamlessly fitting in here and he did a nice thing for Mama Bridgerton and, and she appreciated that she was emotional Daphne thought it was cute uh just loved this little flower bit of this chapter Mama Bridgerton also ends up out and about for longer than she should be to leave these two unattended. And they spend the time just chatting, of course, and they talk about all kinds of things. But Daphne has this moment where she realizes, or at least she's letting him know, you're not a full rake. You're only half a rake, you know, because as we all know that no matter how rakish you are, as long as you have self-deprecating humor, you're at least only half a rake. That is how it works. That's how that's how I understood it to work. I had the rake calculation graph in Excel. All you have to input how many how how um how many ooh what's the word I'm looking for? How promiscuous are you? You know how many people are you sleeping with? Like is that a thing you you do going around sleeping with everyone? That adds an element of the rakishness. But what what percentage is that? That only maxes out at halfway because the other half is your sense of humor and every rake needs a victim and that we know to be true and simon doesn't have a victim because the victim is himself so i just <laughs> i'm just jesting but i did like this little mathematical calculation about how much of a rake someone could be just based on whether they are a little bit self-deprecating just very very good also, I think most people, on average, are at least a little bit self-deprecating, a little bit self-aware, like to make fun of themselves just a little bit. Uh, and, and so I think he's relatable in that sense. You know, for a 2022 audience, I love taking jibes at myself from time to time. And I like that I like that the Duke does that. So it endears us to him as a character a little bit. Daphne also talks about how this plan is working really well for her. You know, she's never had so many people calling on her. And Simon's like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's great, isn't it? This plan is great. Like, fuck. I almost punched the dude in the right eye socket. And so he's not as thrilled about it as Daphne is, but I'm glad that at least for now, for Daphne, this plan is working well. Anthony enters the picture and is described, and I quote, as a thundercloud, uh, wow, I said that wrong. Let me try that again. Anthony enters the picture and is described, and I quote, as a thundercloud on legs, which is a 12 out of 10 description. Thoroughly enjoyed that description of a person, let alone Anthony. And he is here to fight. He hates that Simon is here. He hates that Simon is calling on his sister. He's got a bad reputation. He's his best friend. All the things are lining up. He knows, and crucially, this is the best of all the points. He knows that Simon never intends to marry anybody. So it's kind of weird that he's here doing this. And so Anthony hates it. Mama Bridgerton is having none of this shit. And even Simon thinks to himself like, man, Anthony's like in charge of this house. But is he really in charge of this house? Because Mama Bridgerton is fucking crazy and she's just going at him i will not have this in my house this is my drawing room you will not accost a guest in my presence you know she's not having any of it everyone gangs up on anthony which is just my favorite bridgerton game in the book in the show everyone's taking their digs at anthony and 
he he has some good points but his overall approach is just very angry which really works for this chapter and and really makes me laugh considering that i'm reading this after i've watched the show so i have this very you know i have um a very specific picture of who angry anthony is in my head and it's just very very funny to see jonathan bailey just like acting that out in my brain so good in his um in his uh, fervent disagreement with the duke's presence in this drawing room anthony says this is maybe my favorite bit of writing it's so i I laughed out loud this is the hardest i laughed out loud in any of these two chapters anthony says i know what's going on in his brain and it's more than poetry and roses or something like that and then there's just this one liner simon thought of laying daphne down on a bed of roses and then it just skips back to anthony being mad and it was the funniest interjection you just expect anthony to keep going on this rant and then the the author julie quinn's like you know what no 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 we're switching perspectives for one line jumping into simon's brain having this thought about laying daphne down on this bed and then jumping immediately back it's so funny i don't even know if it's good writing but it made me laugh out loud and look i'm here to enjoy reading the bridgerton book and that is what happened with that line such a good line so funny (laughs) and it's just because anthony this whole situation is presented as anthony not making any good points you're meant to be like anthony shut the fuck up get the fuck out of here i'm enjoying this romance and in this moment he's making a point you're like nah that's not what's going on right and then in simon said it's like that's exactly what's happening and it's so good so funny it's now time to buckle up though ladies and gentlemen because this It happened. This is a thing in this book. It's a line that is in this book. I checked three times to make sure I did not misread this. Again, I'm not shaming anyone. Everyone's into what they're into. That's all good. I just was not expecting this. It kind of just came out of nowhere. And I closed my book, laughed out loud. This is the craziest random interlude into someone's brain ever and of any book i've read where you're just reading it and then all of a sudden for no reason you're just in this person's brain and then the weirdest fucking thing comes out and then you just leave it it never gets mentioned again no one it's crazy here's what happens in this argument anthony uh says in his frustration Uh, something like the duke is not even good enough to lick daphne's boots very funny line laugh out loud like the like the line above which was the line above um there was that line above that i really liked where anthony kind of just jumps into simon said yeah the laying down on the bed of roses very funny and (laughs) it happens again here and this time instead of laying daphne down on a bed of roses the mention of boots just sends simon's brain into horny jail you know isolation horny jail in in the special ward no other prisoners around because he just goes he just goes simon thought about how much he wanted to lick daphne's toes or something it's like fucking hell holy like what the fuck (laughs) just out of nowhere and it's so funny and it's so weird and it just comes out of nowhere so i just want to say if you're into it you're into it no no problems with me whatever but holy shit, it came out of fucking nowhere, and I was not expecting it. And when people say that this book is a crime against humanity, what are they reading? Because that is the funniest fucking thing I have ever read in my entire life. I had that whole moment. You know when your brain is stuck between like four emotions, and you just weren't expecting something, and it just kind of happens, and you have to react to it? I had the moment where I like stared at the book for a second, closed the book, 
thought about what I'd read, opened it, reread it, laughed out loud because it was so funny. And then immediately was like, I get to fucking talk about this on a podcast by myself. That's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. It's so funny. And Simon, definitively a rake. He's a rake. He's a rake. I know Daphne has this weird math calculation. This man is a rake. He has been out there licking toes. He know he he's done it enough times that he knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. He's got the whole image in his head, and that is awesome. Good for Simon. I'm happy for him. This is fucking hilarious. If there is not. And, you know, I actually hope there isn't because it would be so weird to read, I think. But if there is not a subsequent scene later where this line pays off, I will be angry. This is the funniest thing ever written in a book, mostly because it was unexpected. And if there is not a scene later where this pays off and it actually happens, as, no matter how fucking weird it is to read, that would be the funniest Chekhov's toes situation ever in a book and i am expecting it i want it it's so funny this book is fucking amazing if you're not reading this book i assume you are because you're listening to this podcast you are missing out on the time of your life just let go of your expectations enjoy the ride because holy shit this was like going on a roller coaster all right this is like going on a roller coaster and then all of a sudden there's just a loop that you weren't expecting you're like whoa okay we're going here and i'm not even mad that we're here i just was not expecting to go here so we're moving on but holy fuck, so funny, so hilarious. This better pay off. The, the, so good, so funny. There's kind of a little throwaway line here from Lady Bridgerton. She's mad at Anthony, and Anthony and the Duke need to go talk it out. And the Duke is going to go talk it out with Anthony because Anthony's actually in charge of this house, and he kind of reckons that eventually Anthony will just play that card and have to talk to him anyway. So he's going to go on his own terms uh, to, to talk to Anthony. And he says, oh, yeah, we have much to discuss. He's a, he's a charismatic guy. He's not going to... He's, he's going to be fine. And then... <laughs> And then Lady Bridgerton says, if you must go and have these conversations that the male species feel are, you know, appropriate for this day and age. And you know what? Look, I'm just gonna, not going to lie to you. Men fucking suck. Men have sucked from the beginning of time to now. Men still suck. And so well-earned joke that men suck. I, just anytime I'm reading something or watching something and anyone makes a joke like, yeah, men, right? They, they're pretty fucking shitty, aren't they? And you just go, yeah. You know what? Just as not not individually, but as an entire species from, you know, the beginning of history until now, it's not good. The entire if you just sum up the entire existence of men as a whole thing, there's a lot of bad things in there and a lot of them still happen all the time. So just I just want to point it out. Well earned men fucking suck joke. And I am not mad about it. I'm not mad about it. It's well earned. It's funny. It's good. It's well written too. It fits for this book. Um, you know, I like uh, where I work, you know, I work with kids and so there's a lot of music on. And anytime I listen to any of the, like the Olivia Rodrigo songs, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. You know what, this fucking guy, I bet you he fucking sucked. I believe Olivia Rodrigo. i just like, yeah, this guy fucking sucked. You listen to Taylor Swift, there's like eight of them. You're like, I bet you all these people fucking sucked. Like, you just, you're like, yep, okay, got it. Fair enough, same here. I'm just like, yep, you're right, men suck. Like, it's true. Like, let's move on. But yeah, good joke. Very good joke. Well earned. Anthony then goes on about all of his history as a rake. Well, all of... Um, all of Simon's history as a rake. There's a few times in this chapter where someone rebuts like, yeah, you do the same thing, Anthony. And then Anthony's like, exactly my point. I'm also a rake. And so I know that I, I know that he's not suitable for uh, Daphne. A real takes one to no one situation. 
that's very, very clever. It's a very clever way of writing where Anthony's kind of self-aware of his rakishness. And then the Duke seems to be like, hey, you know at least half of that was undeserved. He's really picked up on this math equation that Daphne threw at him earlier in the chapter. He's like, huh, you know, I made a joke and now Daphne thinks I'm only half a rake. That was easy. I'm going to take this half a rake thing and, and I'm going to keep with it. I'm going to stick with it. And so Anthony, he says to Anthony, yeah, it's half of that's undeserved, mostly because I make jokes about myself, you know. And then Anthony's like, that's exactly the problem. I was there for the half that was deserved and you are not suitable for my sister. <laughs> Very good line. And then the Duke, which after in this chapter, this is the wrong chapter to throw this line out. Good God, you make me sound positively canine. It's like, look, man, just two minutes ago, you were like licking Daphne's toes in your brain, okay? Now, I, again, not making a judgment on that. It's just a weird, it's just a weird, you know, he's not very self-aware in this regard. Because I think if he had said that, like, out loud, Anthony would have had some problems with it. <laughs> and it would have sounded positively canine. You know, if he had said it out loud instead of having it in his brain, everyone in the room would have been like, yep positively k9 absolutely so i just you know a little lack of self-awareness from the duke there he's making good points anthony though also making good points and the duke even acknowledges this and i like that in this moment the duke is the audience avatar he's like man anthony keeps making this really good point that i told him that i never want to marry anyone and that sounds terrible and i don't want to do it and now I like his sister and he's fucking coming back at me with all of these good points about myself that I told him. And he's the audience avatar because everyone finds Anthony fucking annoying. And so it's nice that in this chapter, our friend, our main character, our positively canine friend here is like, yeah, you know, audience, you know, you're with me, right, Anthony? He's fucking annoying, isn't he? And so it's just, it's just a good bit of writing. He's the audience avatar. I like this exchange. Them choking each other in the hallway, really funny. They, they each take a turn choking each other to like, till there's like weird gurgling noises. And then when Daphne comes in, they're like, yeah, we choked each other a little bit. It's all good. It's just a very strange way to argue with each other. Daphne gets the vase. So Mama Bridgerton can, you know, have those flowers for a week and, you know, cry a whole bunch. And that's nice. And, you know, she comes back in and like, I just thought that I would check in to make sure you haven't killed each other. And, then, and they're like, well, we didn't kill each other, but we did choke each other for like three seconds. There were gurgling noises and everything. And she's like, yeah, okay. Just like a very fun way for Daphne to kind of come back into this picture. And it, all of these interactions with Daphne, they're very well written because you believe that she's the fourth child. You believe that she is simultaneously the center of attention as she is the one who's out on the market getting married, but also believe that she is the fourth child that everyone views as a friend, that she's not, you know, she puts it like the heroine or, or as he puts it, the heroine or whatever. You know what I mean? It's a very nuanced piece of writing for Daphne in these couple of chapters where you, you believe both things. Everyone's interactions with Daphne, you truly believe they're seeing them the way that they say they're seeing them. And you believe that all of these different perspectives on her can happen at the same time. But you also believe that her perspective on herself is at least mostly correct with how society views her. It's a very, you know, nimble, fine line to walk, but it works really well where Anthony is protective because he's or she's his sister but also he needs to get her on the marriage market there's a duke here who's really attracted to her but it makes perfect sense that he can kind of slide in here because everyone else views her as more of the friend and so he has an easy opportunity here to make an impression you believe that mama bridgerton you know initially didn't want daphne her daughter to be with a rake but now that the now that it's potential for her to be a duchess she hadn't quite thought about it so she changes her opinion all of these little bits revolving around daphne and everyone 
everyone's opinions and the way they feel about the situation make perfect sense for their characters, but also they don't make Daphne one-dimensional to accomplish this. She's very multi-dimensional, and each dimension adds a little bit to the characters around her. She's a real synergistic character, right? She is making all the other characters play at better than their potential. And so just as a little bit of, you know, literary analysis of of the first six chapters of this book, as much as I love to make fun of the toe-licking thing, <laughs> which is genuinely very funny, just very... She's a synergistic character. She is, she is here and operating at a high level, but she's also allowing all of these other characters to operate at their highest potential as well. And it really sucks you into the book. It really makes you enjoy it, even if it's not the best written book ever, even if there are some parts that just jump out at you as positively fucking nuts, because like they just come out of nowhere and it's hilarious. Right? All of these things are happening, but you're just into it. You're just like, yeah, this book rocks. I'm having a good time here. It's a great, it's kind of like watching um, there's movies like the stepbrothers is a movie like this where like is stepbrothers gonna win any Oscars no of course not is it the best made movie ever absolutely not the whole time you watch stepbrothers you're like this movie fucking slaps super bad is another movie you're like oh man this movie's awesome is it the best made movie ever no do I enjoy every t second I spend in this universe yeah yeah I do and Daphne so far is the character that's making that happen for me based on her characterization of herself but also or the author's characterization of her but how she enables everyone else in the story to kind of operate in a way that's fun, that's exciting, that's believable, that's making sense, that's within kind of the world and the the kind of Bible of the book, uh, the rules of the universe that Julia Quinn has set up here. Very, very well done. And this chapter ends with coming, possibly, we don't actually know because I haven't read chapter seven yet. They start to tell Anthony, or at least you think they're going to start to tell Anthony Hey, this is the plan. We're not actually into each other, even though we definitely are. And I was thinking about her toes a lot. And we're actually just BFFFLs. And we're just going to hang on, pretend to be into each other so she can get a better suitor. I cannot have to talk to the Featheringtons ever. And that's actually the plan. So we'll see in chapter seven whether that actually comes to fruition or not, whether that's what they actually told Anthony. But for now, it's like, fair enough. Anthony's got to be in on the game or he's going to murder the Duke or something. So very good decision from Daphne and the Duke here. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, and boy, do I hope you're enjoying this. I am so, I'm so into reading this book. It's such a fun, it's such a funny thing for me to read. It's such a funny concept for a podcast. I'm just enjoying every second of this. So I hope you are enjoying listening to this podcast. If you did, make sure to head and leave those reviews. Tell your friends about it, like we mentioned up at the top. There is a Patreon for a little value for value exchange. If you're having fun here and want to make the podcast a little more sustainable in exchange for early access to some of the episodes, that would be awesome. There's a Facebook group you can can join if you want to hang out with other cool people on the internet there's also a twitter at let's dive deep and email let's dive deep pod at gmail.com thank you so much for listening i will be back soon very soon with chapters uh what is it seven and eight i'm really behind because i've had a busy summer so i'm gonna clock three or four episodes in here in the next week or two it's gonna be great thank you so much for listening and i'll see you in the next one